as you know, um, but for our visitors that would not know, what we are doing is the uh, 500th anniversary of the, Pro- the, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation uh, is coming up, and so we are um, preaching through the doctrines of grace. And so uh, using the uh, acrostic tulip, uh, we last week looked at total depravity. This week we are looking at unconditional election and we'll move on through the tulip for the next uh, three weeks. Please join with me in prayer. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The pastor who discipled me when I was in college was a hard charger. He had a very in-your-face approach to life and approach to ministry. He became a Christian at the Citadel Military College in Charleston, and he led many other cadets to Christ. At least four of the those cadets he led to Christ ended up in our denomination as pastors. At the Citadel back in the 70s, the tough guys used to hang out in front of the the vending machines. This was back before. The hazing was uh, was so looked down upon, uh, and rightly so that it would be looked down upon. But um, what Mike did with the 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 guys he led to Christ was they took over the vending machine area, and anybody who came for a snack, they were telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ and very aggressively evangelizing them. And so I say this to preface what I'm going to tell you about a sermon that he preached on predestination and unconditional election. What he did, I just don't have in my personality to do. Um, He started off his sermon reading Ephesians 1, 4-6, this passage that uh, Shane just read. And... um, So he read it, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. And then after he read that passage, he took that page from Ephesians and ripped it out of the Bible. He wadded it up and threw it down on the floor. And he said, I don't like that word predestination. It doesn't belong in my Bible. And then he read from Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, which says, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born or had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And he said, the God I worship would never hate someone before they reach the age of accountability. 
And then he read from Romans 9.16, It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy as to who will be saved. And so he said, My God leaves salvation up to a person's free will. I don't like this. And then he ripped the whole chapter of Romans 9 out of his Bible, wadded it up and threw it out in front of the pulpit out toward the congregation. Then he read Romans 11, verses 5-7. through He said, in reading it, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And he said, God gives everybody an equal chance to be saved. He wouldn't harden someone before they had a chance to be saved. I don't like Romans 11 and he ripped it out wadded up through and from the congregation. And he did this with several other passages. People were gasping as he did this each time that he tore a passage out of the Bible and wadded it up. And of course, he was making a larger point and he said, my point is you will need to have an abridged Bible to have a God who does not choose a people for Himself and predestine their eternal destiny. So his larger point obviously was that the doctrine of election and predestination is taught in the Bible. Now I acknowledge that many Christians are very opposed to the doctrine of predestination. Some of the larger objections are that it makes God unjust because it doesn't seem fair that God would give one person salvation while passing over another person. Or also, it destroys human freedom. If God predestinated in eternity past the choices that we make today in the present, then aren't we just puppets? Is God just pulling our strings and we don't have any say in the matter? Can we ever make a free choice? A third objection uh, is usually John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And so the objection is, if He loves the whole world, then that is inconsistent with election which says that God only loves the elect. And then the fourth objection is unconditional election makes evangelism unnecessary. If God's chosen, who's going to be saved? And it is certain that they will be saved. Then why do evangelism? Isn't it pointless? I'll acknowledge these are good and legitimate questions. I intend to answer all of them in the course of this sermon if I have time. If I don't have time, uh, you can come and ask me afterwards. But I want you to notice here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, how strongly Paul speaks of election. In verse 4, he says that God chose us. The us here is 
the people defined in verse 1, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying to these Ephesian Christians, God chose us before the creation of the world. He does not say anything about them choosing God. In fact, in verse 5, he says that God predestined them for adoption as sons in Christ Jesus. This passage does not include anything about anything that's found in us. Our deeds are not mentioned. Um, Our choosing Christ is not mentioned. Uh, Our having faith in Christ is not mentioned at all. So then, what is God's determining, the, the determining factor for why God would choose one person and not another? Well, you see it at the end of verse 5. It says, um, he cho- in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So, His good pleasure, His good and perfect will is the only determining factor that is mentioned here in this passage. God did not choose any person because He saw he foresaw anything in us that would draw His heart toward us. It was His good pleasure alone. It was according to His will alone. In fact, if we were to look over into Ephesians chapter 2 and remind you of uh, last week's sermon, verse, Ephesians 2.1, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What do dead people do? Well, I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't believe. They don't trust in Christ. Spiritually dead people are so willingly rebellious that they are unable and unwilling to come to God. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. The sinful mind is at war with God. It does not submit to God because it is even unable to do so. Looking on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath. And then verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see this? In chapter 4, the only one acting is God. The only thing we're doing... I'm sorry, did I say chapter 4? Chapter 2. The only thing we're doing in chapter 2 is being spiritually dead. God is acting upon us. He made us alive together with Christ. He's the one doing the loving. He's the one doing the regenerating. He's the one, in other words, doing the saving. That's why He says in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. You contributed nothing to your salvation. Or as I said, Uh, The week before, and I even think I said last week, if there's anything that you have contributed to your salvation, the only thing you have contributed is your sins. 
verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ. In fact, you could go on to verses 8 and 9 because you might be saying, well, doesn't eight, verses 8 and 9 talk about our faith? Don't we exercise faith? Well, listen closely to verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This passage here says that your faith is not your own. It is a gift from God. If you believe, it is because God has given you faith. That's what we just sang in that previous hymn. Even the good works that you do after you become a Christian is still a result of God's grace in your life. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 in chapter 2 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, our whole salvation from beginning to end is all of God's grace. When did it begin? It began in eternity past when God determined to save a people for Himself. And then when He chose who would be saved and who would be passed over. God could have determined to save nobody. God could have determined to save only a few as He did before the flood. Noah and his family the rest of the world perished. He could have chosen to save many, as He has apparently done because multitudes that no man can count from every tribe and language and people and nation stand before God's throne, redeemed in Jesus Christ. He could have chosen to save everyone, but He determined not to do that. His choices are not beholden to us. We don't get to say, God, You are fair or not fair. We simply agree with God's Word. He is good, righteous, and holy in all of His decisions. His determination who to choose to save was not based on anything in us. His determination uh, who He chose not to save not based on anything in them. We are all sinners. We all deserve hell. God, in His mercy, chose to save a few. Romans chapter 9, verses, 9, or verses 10 through 13. I read it a few minutes ago. Not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac. And remember, Rebekah and Isaac Isaac, the child of Abraham, though they were not yet born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. They were twins. Same father, same mother. Jacob and Esau, who was born first? Esau. Who was the chosen one? The younger one. 
before they were born or had done anything good or bad, God says He determined to love Jacob. And He determined to hate Esau. You say, God, how can you hate Esau? And the real question should be, God, why should you love Jacob? He was a sinner. Why would you love any of us? We were all sinners. We were all spiritually dead. We were all enemies of God. And yet, in His mercy, He has chose to love some. He has chosen to love many. He has chosen to love us even though we are completely unworthy of His love. I'll go through a couple of these objections. First of all, this objection that it destroys human freedom. That if God predestinated in eternity past the choices that we are making today, it just makes us puppets. Let me say that we are free human creatures. The Bible says we are free human creatures. We act according to our nature. Unbelievers hate God and rebel against Him. We may know unbelievers who have made a confession of faith and turned their back. Well, unbelievers are willing to try and manipulate God. Unbelievers are willing to say one thing and in their hearts act another way. They are, after all, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, by nature children of wrath. But God changed our nature when He gave us faith. We were, by nature, children of wrath. But God changed our nature. He, uh, we embraced Christ because God regenerated us. He caused us to be born again. He caused us to believe the Gospel. He caused us to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we act according to our nature. It doesn't destroy human freedom. Now you say, but if God's sovereignly in control, if He has predestinated what we would do ahead of time, doesn't that seem like we are just puppets? Well, the answer to that is God is God and we are not. Uh, It's a mystery how God can be 100% sovereign and we be 100% free moral creatures that are responsible before God. We act according to our nature. The way I like to illustrate it is I went to to, uh, college um, at Georgia, I mean at uh, Covenant College, and it was on top of Lookout Mountain. Some days the rain, uh, heavy rains would move in, and if you were down the mountain, you couldn't see the top of the mountain. You couldn't see the college where I went to, to school. You could see one side of the mountain going up from downtown Chattanooga, the other side of the mountain going up, but you couldn't see the top. The clouds covered it. Every now and then, uh, the clouds would actually be low enough where we would actually have some some uh, some sunlight up on the mountain, whereas the the valley and the city of Chattanooga didn't have it. And so, the illustration I'm driving at is: you see God's sovereignty, 
You see man's responsibility. Both are taught in the Scriptures. You don't see how God works it out in His mind. But He's the infinite God and we're not. We, even if He explained it to us, we may not be able to understand it. We may not understand it for all eternity. It's a mystery. But the Bible teaches both. God's sovereignty and our responsibility. I'm going to skip over to the benefits because I don't want you to lose, um, to check out on me when the, the most important thing I want to talk about are the benefits. These other objections you can come and talk to me about later. First of all, this idea of unconditional election, it has several benefits. The first benefit is that unconditional election and predestination is humbling. God is the sovereign Savior. We were doing no favors to God by believing the Gospel. We are simply recipients of His grace. Christians who believe in predestination, unfortunately, sometimes appear prideful or smug. You know, I'm smarter than these other Christians who don't believe this doctrine. Brothers, that should not be. Salvation is by grace. So all human boasting and all human pride will be eliminated. That was the purpose. In other, in other words, that God would get all the glory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man, no person, may boast. It's humbling to think that you contributed nothing, that you simply received God's grace. We Christians need the doctrine of unconditional election as a constant kick in the pants to help us repent of our ongoing pride. Secondly, unconditional election encourages us to live thankful lives. If our salvation is all of God, what can we do to repay Him? Nothing. All we can do is thank Him for His grace. Understanding that we are elected by grace alone undermines our self-centered, self-satisfied, self-satisfied patterns of thinking because we understand that we did not deserve God's love and His salvation. Thirdly, unconditional election encourages us to live compassionate, kind and forgiving lives. You were loved when you were unlovely. You were loved when you were an enemy of God. So, how should we act toward others? Well, as children of God, we are to love those who don't love us. We are to love those who do not return our love. We are to love even our enemies in the same manner that God loves us. The doctrine of unconditional election teaches that as Christians, we must be compassionate toward others. We must be kind. We must be self-giving because God gave His only Son for us. Fourth, unconditional election encourages our evangelism. Without God's choosing a people for salvation, nobody would be saved. We'd all be spiritually dead. 
We would continue in our spiritual death. No amount of preaching, no amount of of reading the Bible, nothing would be able to turn our hearts towards God. We act according to our natures. Our natures need to be changed. Well, God in His grace elected a people. And when we get to um, to the eye, uh, irresistible grace, we'll see how God changes us, regenerates us, how He brings us to Himself. If If God did not elect the people, and then draw those people to Himself. Nobody would be saved. The truth of God's election is the only hope for any success in our evangelism. God has His elect here in Brandon. He has His elect here in Tampa. He has His elect in College Hill. And He will gather them through the proclamation of His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ said, where He be lifted up, He will draw all peoples to Himself. Fifth and finally, unconditional election encourages our worship. God didn't just choose you and draw you to Himself. You had a mountain of sins that was against you. And every one of those sins has to be dealt with. Your sin separates you from God. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His holiness. And we're sinful. How can we enter into God's holy, holy, holy presence? The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ came here to earth. He met all of God's conditions of holiness and justice that you failed to meet and that I failed to meet. He lived the perfect life that you have not lived. He died the substitutionary death on the cross that you should have died. He rose from the grave that you might have life in Him. God is not a weak and frail godfatherly or grandfatherly figure sitting on the porch of heaven wishing that people would stop misbehaving and come to Him. He's not up there twiddling His thumbs or wringing His hands. He is the sovereign God. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He demands your worship. He demands the worship of all His creatures. And then He draws some of His creatures, many of His creatures to Himself and enables us to worship Him and give Him the glory that He seeks through Jesus Christ and through, the, the, through His regenerating work of His Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you are without Jesus Christ, and you're saying, well, if God's sovereign and I'm without Him, there's no hope for me. The Lord Jesus says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. If you desire to come to Him, it is because God is working in your hearts. And so come to Him today. Come to Him now. Don't delay. God loves you unconditionally. And all the conditions you failed to meet, Christ has met. Come to Him for the salvation that He promises.
pray together. Lord Jesus, as we are studying this doctrine of predestination and unconditional election, Lord, I pray that You would encourage us to remember how much You have loved us from eternity past and will continue to love us for eternity future. Lord, I ask that You would um, be with any who are not here and graciously yet powerfully bring them to Jesus Christ today. We ask in His name. Amen.